He chose you. He loves you so much that he died for you, even knowing, running the risk that you would never choose him. When there was nothing that we could do for him, no life that we could give to him, he gave his for us. Now, that we are set right with God by means of his sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. Because of Christ, we are set right with God. There's no question about that. All doubt has been removed. Listen, when I was a kid, I went to a private school. When, 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 when the doors of the church were open, we were there. But the devil would sow doubt in my, in my heart and in my mind. That any time that, that, that someone offered to pray, I would pray that for salvation. Until someone finally said, John, you've prayed the prayer. There is no doubt. The question has been removed. Salvation. When you are surrendered to God, there's no, no question of being put right with the Lord. This is that consummate blood sacrifice. There's no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. So if when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son, now that we are at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by the means of his resurrection. What does that mean? It means that his death secured my forgiveness. His, his, his resurrection empowers my life. It gives me the victory. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with, with God, we are no longer content to simply say it in plodding prose. We sing and we shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah. You see, we have good news this morning that Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins and because of his sacrifice, we have been set right with God forever and ever. And that we can sing and shout the praises to God because of that sacrifice. I am not afraid of death. I am not a slave to sin any longer. I have been set free. But it's so much more than just my forgiveness. You see, his death secures forgiveness and salvation. His resurrection empowers our kingdom life eternally. What does that mean? That means that I am not waiting for the trumpet to call to walk in victory. I am walking in victory today. I am walking in victory right now. If you want to walk in victory with me, put your shoes on and let's go. Come on. You see, his resurrection empowers my life so that when I face the storm, I can have hope. When I'm in the midst of a difficult circumstance, I know that he is with me and I am not alone. But we need to realize our eternity is secure because of his death. How much more will our present time, how much more will our life on earth be restored by his resurrection and holy life? God has deposited the Holy Spirit and the peace and the power and the victory that comes with it into us. But in the midst of the storm, instead of looking inside to the power that God has with his Holy Spirit who is in us, instead of going to that place, you know where we go? We go to the world. We go to the outside. And that peace is very different than the peace that God offers.
It's temporal. It's fleeting. It's sinful. Because it's outside of God's will. It might feel good in the flesh. That's why sin is sin. I mean, nobody would do sin if it didn't feel good. It might gratify for a moment. But you see, we are sacrificing the security and the sustainment of our eternal soul for temporal and fleeting fleshly gratification. Say that one more time. We tend to seek peace through temporary gratification of our flesh rather than the eternal sustainment of our soul through Christ. Anyone that has battled with addiction understands this struggle. And I'm not just talking about addiction to drugs. There's alcohol, cigarettes, there's you know, over-the-counter medication, there's pornography, there's many other things. These are all temporal things that we tend to run to to make us feel good in the moment, in the midst of our circumstance. We say, well, I deserve it. I'm going through a hard time. No, no, no. What you deserve is eternal victory. Let go of that place and go to the place where God is. You see, the challenge is with those things that we might become addicted to or even those things that we run to out of, outside of God, there will be a moment where you realize that that thing that you are looking for gratification from, it doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it. And when you see the folly of your ways, my prayer would be that you would call out to God, listen, calling you, if you're in the midst of a storm this morning and you wonder why that storm is still going. Now listen, God may be, may be trying to teach you, but he also may be letting you sit in the storm because he needs you to come running to him. Listen, abandon your position of rebellion. And run to God. What did that prodigal son's dad do when he saw his son in the horizon? Did he wait for him? No, he went running. He went running because his son had abandoned his rebellion and was coming back to his father. Our God will do the same for you. The father didn't go to where his son was. The father didn't go to where he was feeding the pigs. The father didn't go to where there was famine. The father waited till the son came to him. God is waiting for you to come to him. He is waiting. And let me tell you, his word promises that when we go to him, when we seek him with all of our heart, what does Jeremiah tell us? When you seek me with your whole heart, you will find, I will be found by you. James tell us, tells us that when we draw near to God, what, he will draw near to us. We can hold firm and be secure in these promises, but we must abandon our rebellion. We must abandon holding on to our position of worldliness and say, God, I choose you and only you. That's why Jesus said, seek me first and my righteousness, my kingdom. Nothing, nothing else. I want to explain it this way. So what is the weather pattern that we are all concerned about over the summer in, in Florida? A hurricane, right? You know, we were on our cruise, and you know, Hurricane Dorian, excuse me, was uh, was just you know had just impacted the Bahamas and many of the islands that we went and visited. Uh, one young man, his name was Jelani, he was telling us that and he lived in in the British Virgin Islands, and he said that 
you know, he had to go upstairs to rescue his, his aunts and grandmothers because the wind and the, and the storm was pulling the roof off in the second story of their house. Um, he, had, he was training for a decathlon, and um, the day before he had signed with a new coach, and that guy, that man passed away in the storm. But, you know, through all of this, when we think about a hurricane, you know, we, we know and we've seen the damage that they can do on land. I mean, you know, you know here in Florida, uh, but also we've just seen the news reports, right? Did you know that hurricanes can actually do damage to coral reefs? They can do damage to, you know, the water, to the, to the, to the marine life. In fact, the worst storms can do damage as deep as 300 feet. Now, if a fish were to behave like us, in the midst of a storm, you know what that fish would try to do? Get out of the water. The fish would try to jump out of the water. Well, here's the storm. Here's my circumstance. I want to get out. What happens if a fish gets out of water, suffocates and dies? You know the way that they survive? They go deeper. So if the storm goes 300 feet, the fish are down 400 feet, 500 feet. So think about it this way. The ocean, the water being a symbol for our life in God's will. In his presence. Now, it doesn't mean that we will not experience difficulty. What did Jesus say in John chapter 16? He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Right? So in, our, in, in God's will and in, in, in his presence, we might experience difficulty. We might have the temptation to listen to our flesh and to flee our circumstance, but we will suffocate outside of the presence of God. What God tells us is go deeper into my presence, go deeper into my spirit, and you will be renewed. You will have peace. You will be empowered. You see, God has deposited his, his peace in us through his Holy Spirit. We must be rooted and we have to fortify those roots by pursuing God, by engaging with him. And as we do, we can stand firm as we are told, as we are called. I know that it's not easy to do all of this. Our flesh will come in and tempt us. We will see those temptations. You know what they are for you. You know what they are for you. And this is where the devil wants us to be. He wants us to be tempted. He wants us to be giving in to our flesh because the Bible tells us that the mind that is governed by the flesh is death. And the devil wants us to continue to give in to our flesh because then we are dead. We are walking in the victory that is already ours. But Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3 what we need to do. He says, let the peace of Christ, the inner calm of one who walks daily with him, Be the controlling factor in your hearts, deciding and settling the questions that arise. To this peace, indeed, you were called as members in one body of believers, and be thankful to God always. You know, this this word to, to rule, it says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. It's like an umpire. So when we let the peace of God make the call in our lives, it prepares us for battle, and it prepares us for victory. You see, if I let my flesh... Make the call, if I let my flesh rule in those circumstances, what happens? I'm dead. But if I let the peace of God rule in my heart as one who walks with him daily, I am prepared for victory. I am prepared for battle. 
See, this is something that we, we have to walk in. The picture that I see unfolding is this. When I establish God as my foundation, I can have peace that prepares me for the battle. I don't know about you, but I want to walk in that kind of peace. I want to walk in that kind of preparedness. So the natural question then becomes how. Jesus tells us how in Matthew chapter 7. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. And who is our rock? God, Christ. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So the message that Christ is telling us is that we must be obedient. We must do what God tells us. To have our feet firmly set on the rock that is God, on the rock that is Christ, we must obey his words. When he tells us to do something, we listen, we act, we do what he says. James tells us that we cannot be hearers of the word only, but we must be doers. If we fail to act, if all we do is hear, listen, If all you have done today is heard the word of God and you go out and you do nothing, you are like the man who set his house on the sand. And you can be prepared when the storm comes, the sand in your house will be washed away. But if you have heard God's word today and you act on it, if you do what God is telling you to do, you can be prepared to stand firm. You can be prepared to walk in victory. You see, obedience, what it does is it empowers us to stand firm against the enemy. We see this in Christ because Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, I love the way that Luke outlines and kind of portrays this section of of Scripture. In Luke chapter 4, we get a picture of Jesus being empowered to walk in the calling that God had given him, but only because right before that, Jesus was obedient. You see, right before this section Jesus was tempted. Luke talks about Jesus' temptation. And we know that Jesus didn't give in to temptation, that he remained obedient to the Father. And then he begins to, to talk about this. He goes into the synagogue and he reads this portion of Scripture. As he went into Nazareth where, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Notice, that's just something, I, I love it. Sometimes, like, you're not even, like, thinking about something and something new pops up. See, Jesus didn't go get the scroll and find the book of Isaiah. The scroll of Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened upon him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus knew that he had been called. He knew that his purpose on earth was to proclaim freedom to the captive, to set the blind free, to bring victory to the children of God. He knew that that was his calling, but he couldn't walk in that calling unless he was obedient to the Father. 
You know, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus talking about the fact that he says, I do nothing outside of the Father. I only do what the Father tells me. He calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one on whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Are your feet beautiful this morning? We begin to see the connection that not only are these the feet of the, the shoes of preparedness to walk in victory, to stand firm in the battle, but they are the shoes of preparedness that prepare us to go out and share the same gospel of peace that prepares us with others. That we are being prepared to share the good news that saved us with other people. To walk in the same calling that our Savior had. Now listen, we can't die and save others. But we can and we must die to self so that others can see the death and resurrection of our Savior in us. I'm going to say that again. We can't die to save others, but we can and we must die to ourselves so that others can see the death and resurrection of our Savior in us. But this is why we have the armor of God. Because this is not an easy process. Paul tells us to stand firm and we must be prepared. We must always, always, always be prepared. First Peter tells us, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I want to ask you a question. How many people have asked you about the hope that you have? If people aren't asking you about the hope that you have, maybe it's because they think you don't have any hope. I have hope. I want the people that I work with, I want the people that, 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 that see me in the grocery store, I want the people that, that just, I want them to look at me and know that I have hope. I want them to know before they even talk to me. My prayer would be that you would want the same thing. We must always be prepared. Always be prepared. Well, the only way that I can always be prepared is if I have my shoes on, if I've got the readiness that comes from what the gospel of peace. You see, I have been set right with God. He and I are no longer at odds because of the sacrifice of his son. My eternity is secure and my life today and forever is empowered by his Holy Spirit. If that's not something to hope for, I don't know what is. And so I choose to walk in that hope every day. Listen, I am not perfect. I fail frequently. But when I fail, I cry out to God, forgive me. Forgive me. If I have an argument with Melanie, I ask God's forgiveness, I ask for her forgiveness. If I offend someone, I go to them and ask them to forgive me. I'm not patting myself on the back. I just want you to understand and know this is how we have to live. This is what God is calling us to do. We all stood and we shouted and we praised God because he is our rock. If you meant that, this is what it looks like. 
It looks like being prepared to share the hope that we have. And it means actually living like you have hope. It means demonstrating the hope that you have in everything that you do. So that one day, when someone comes up to you and says, what's different about you? You are prepared to share the gospel of peace. My questions for you today, you see, we have to take our stand against the devil's schemes. These are questions that only you have the answers to. First, we have to ask ourselves, are we acting on and obeying God's word? Are we hearing only or are we hearing and doing what God is telling us? My next question, where do you look for peace? Are you looking to God or are you looking to the world? Are you looking to the Holy Spirit that God has given you, that he has deposited in you? Or are you looking externally? To the world? Are you looking for temporary gratification of your flesh or eternal sustainment of your soul? Is God's peace ruling your heart or is your flesh? And lastly, do you have your shoes on? Are your feet beautiful? You know, feet are kind of ugly if you ask me. That's why I like to cover them with stylish shoes. But. It says that we have beautiful feet when we go out to share the good news of who Jesus is. Are your feet beautiful? We're going to come and our our, our deacons and they're going to come and we're going to be preparing to share the Lord's table. As we do that, as we pray, use this moment as a time of reflection. You know, for our, our guests and visitors today, we have an open communion. The only, the only requirement that we have is that you're a member of God's family. You don't have to be a member of our church. We, we keep our children, my, my daughter, my niece, my, my, my friend's daughters are right here. You know, they're young, but we know that they have, you know, if you've given your life to the Lord, then you please, you're absolutely welcome and invited to partake. And the Bible tells us that, you know, we take these, these, these little pieces of, of bread is unleavened bread. They represent God's body, Christ's body. And when each of us take it, you know what happens? Something supernatural happens. That all of those individual pieces unite us as one. You see, not only are we not alone in this battle because God is with us, we are not alone. He did not leave us alone because we have each other. We are united with his body in Christ, but then also in each of us. And that's why it's important that we take a moment to reflect. Because I don't want any sin in my life to affect the body. And my prayer would be that you wouldn't want any sin in your life to affect the body either. So let's take a moment, and as we pray, the deacons are going to come, and, and we will begin to share as the Lord, with the Lord's table. Father, we come to you today. We thank you. God, for the sacrifice of your son. We thank you, Lord, that he died on the cross and that through his sacrificial death, God, our salvation and forgiveness is secure. God, we thank you that through his resurrection, our our lives can and and are empowered for all of eternity, Lord. Father, as we take a moment to reflect, God, help us to see the areas in our life that you would want to work in. 
God, where are we pursuing peace outside of your will? Where are we pursuing something in the world rather than the spirit that you have given us? Father, where have we chosen to not obey you? Where have we chosen, God, to be in rebellion, to hold on to that position of worldliness and rebellion rather than running and surrendering to you, God? Help us, Lord, to stand firm, to put our shoes on, to have beautiful feet, Lord. Where, Lord God, are our lives not aligned with your direction, not aligned with your design and your will? Father, here and now, we take the opportunity and we surrender those things to you. We ask you for forgiveness for those things. We give them over to you, Lord God. Wash us again afresh in the blood. God, take those sins away and make us new. Continue to renew us in your spirit and your love. Empower us, Lord God, as we prepare to take your body and, 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 and the juice, Lord God, that you know, represents your blood. As we begin to take these things, Lord God, unite us as one with you and one another, God, empowered to go out and make a difference in this world for you. We thank you and praise you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.